The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. So thank you for reading that, Dr. Taves. I thought it would be a good idea if we just paused for a minute or two to look at that passage, commonly called the Great Commission, right? But Jesus never calls it that, and neither does the Bible, so maybe we should look at why it's so great. It's just, you know, a question I had. So I was reading through some of Matthew this weekend preparing for this, and a couple things stood out to me about this passage. So uh, Matthew's crafting his narrative here, and this passage is one of the only things that Jesus says in the book of Matthew after he is raised from the dead. He only appears to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, one of my favorite titles, um, at the beginning of the chapter, and then uh, he appears to the disciples in Galilee, and this is all that's recorded that he says to them. So that's going to have a significant weight in the narrative, yes? And then the content of, the, of this passage is a total shift in the game plan from something that Christ said earlier in Matthew in chapter 10, where he tells the disciples to only go to the Jews. And so Matthew ends his book with a, a change and a commandment from the lips of Jesus to go and preach the gospels to all the nations and make disciples and baptize them, not just the Jews anymore, which is good news for us Gentiles, right? And then, this is the end of the book of Matthew, literally the very end. So in your English comp classes, you're learning that when you write something, the end is really important. I like to call the conclusion the so what, who cares paragraph. If it's no good, nothing in there is good. So Matthew ends his book with this massive statement, and the implication is, okay, Christ is risen. He's all-powerful. Go and make disciples. And that applies to all of us as well as the, the 11 that were there worshiping him. So fast forward 2,000 years later, and these people here are living their lives the way they are as a result of their parents being employed in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so we have Kayla, Han, and Kirk this morning, whom I'm going to let introduce themselves. And here are the rules. You get three sentences or less to tell us about yourself and your background. Go. Okay. Um, my name is Kirk Andrews. I was born and raised in Bolivia and South America in really high mountains. I'm counting your sentences. Yeah. And then my parents worked with the Quechua people. My name's Han. Um, hello. 
Um, I lived in Korea for 15 years, never left the country, then moved to Kenya with my parents. My um, parents actually served in Uganda, but I attended um, boarding school in Kenya. And my parents, um, my mother served as nurse, and my father served as a construction director. So, Hi, my name is Kayla Boykert, and... Um, <laughs> Um, I was born in the Philippines. My parents were missionaries there for about 10 years, but I only lived there for seven. And then we moved to Thailand after the tsunami, and um, I lived there until I was 15, and my dad is from Switzerland, so I have three different countries that kind of play into my life. And my name's Dr. Mellon, and I grew up in France. <laughs> and my parents still live there, and it's awesome to go back there. So... Uh, so um, one of the peculiarities about uh, missionary kids or third culture kids or international kids is that uh, we are not missionaries in the common sense of the word, but we have a window from our life experience into missions work, whether it's uh, full-time, overt uh, Christian service or tent making or service to the missionaries. And so um, I want to ask, I have several questions to ask you, and I want you to speak, please, out of your experiential observations, okay? So what does gospel work look like in the different country that you came from? Kirk, you want to start us out on that one? Um, so there's a lot I can say. <laughs> Sorry, I'll keep it short. Um, I think first, gospel work always looks like being a learner and a servant. Um, specifically in Bolivia, um, one of the things I remember from my parents' ministry is going out to, like, way out in the middle of the mountains, and my parents would take other missionaries. We would always do this as a team, and we would go visit, um, already established churches and Christian communities. And the Quechua people are very much a communal society. So what you do with them a lot of times is you get to the end of the road and you hike back in and then they're back there in small towns and you, you know, they're out in the fields so you pick up a pick and you go out and you live life with them. You dig up a field and it's going to be full of rocks and that's just you know, one of the things you can do. Um, it's always um, been doing the things that you can do to serve alongside people. And in that, God opens up these tremendous opportunities to, um, to speak into those lives. So that's what I saw a lot of. Um, to speak from about a Korean church, I'll say... Um, among the Gospels, there are a lot of miracles happening, and sometimes some churches do tend to emphasize on that, which could lead to a lot of um, dangers because not only, like, miracles is only happen only by, like, selections of God and also kind of wanting that makes us, makes our faith become conditional. And I think this is not only, like, an issue in America, but also in Korea. It makes, like, oh, if God like makes miracles, for example, like success in like interview or like have um, good grades in exam or just like something materialistic, 
then I'll give my faith. It's, and it's really like kind of sad to like see such stuff rather than just believing all the works through like through the pressure and the struggles. And that also leads to lack of logic and um, superstitious faith. Koreans, I remember myself asking to my pastor about certain verses that I could understand and one sentence that I heard was that you lack faith. And um, that's a really harsh thing to say and that just made me pray only rather than seek for a more logical sense of it. So, yeah. And I would add to that, certain techniques for spreading the gospel work well in some cultural contexts and not in others at all. So I distinctly remember as a kid, my dad realizing that street evangelism is a no-go in France because that's a total invasion of someone's personal space. And so you put them on the defensive and there's no recovering from that. So he switched to um, distributing literature, like a tract in people's mailboxes that let them send a response and invite him into their home. And it worked much better. So 10 years took him to figure, and he's not, he's not dumb. It's just you come from one mindset and you have to learn the next mindset and what's going to speak to those people. Good. Um, how is the church different in other countries? Um, so I actually talked to my mom about this this weekend because I was trying to remember what was so different about the church overseas. But something that we really talked about is in Thailand, um, they have a king. And so the king is someone that's very highly respected and looked upon. And when you respect the king, it's not something that you like go to him and praise him and stuff. It's very much if you were to see the king, you would drop on your face and you would sprawl yourself out because that's how much you respect and you love him. So kind of like in that sense, that culture kind of carries over to worshiping the Lord. And so looking at, at God as our king and as our Lord, we res they respect him so much. And so worship is very different for them. It's not like a lot of raising your hands or like yelling or like worshiping quite as loud as we do here. But in Thailand, it's much more like reverence. You're standing there thinking about like, wow, I'm worshiping the God of the universe. Like he deserves my respect. So worship there is very different than it is here. But then when we lived in the Philippines, it was very different. It was much more like worship was a party and you're like, you know, God is your friend. You know that he loves you a lot, and so you have that more personal relationship, but it's interesting seeing how different it is for each church, because it's the same God that you're worshiping, but the culture that you have in your life really impacts, like, how you worship him, so I think it's really interesting, even being back in the U.S. and looking at how people worship here, and that is a lot of because the culture that kind of feeds into what we have here, so... Um, while like Kayla was experiencing about like individual relationship with God, um, our church in Korea um, was quite an impressive in the sense that I I think I was like third grade and if I if I bring my school uh, bring my school buddy for like four weeks then I would get like a gift card and I really enjoyed to utilize that for my to use that for my computer games and stuff and. Um, <laughs> Which is, I'm honest, it's really sad because um, it's like we tend to like try to be more inclusive and try to bring others and 
it can be really bad because it's not not only encouraging like individual relationship with Christ, but also um, kind of makes it forcing. Like um, I remember like fifth grade, I remember crying and like um, doing like convicting and just confessing my sins to Lord, and it wasn't really like environment that would make you just totally vulnerable, especially for kids. Like imagine like a dark place. Um, the song is like super like dramatic and like all the steps are like either speaking tongues or like kneeling and raising their hands and just like crying out for the Lord and you're either kind of lost or you kind of want to join them and like kind of imitate them and that's really, it was helpful by then and I felt like I felt really good about myself but when I was left alone in my room by myself, I wasn't sure what to do and that was a little Weird. Somewhat of a controversial question, potentially. How have short-term missionaries impacted full-time missionaries and their work in your home context? Any takers? Any takers? I can take it. Okay. All right. Um, I think sometimes we've seen uh, a couple times when there have been difficulties with short-term missionaries, but I, d I don't really want to touch on all of the, the nitty-gritty, horrible stuff. Um, <laughs> sorry to say that. Um, there are times when I've seen short-term missions be amazing, um, and that's generally when you do it in the context of coming alongside a long-term missionary. Um, a lot of times missionaries have a really established um, ministry, and so they're not always able to go out and pursue new leads and things like that. Um, so short-term missions, um, one of the things that I saw one time was um, a group of short-term missionaries came in and they developed friendships with um, some university kids. And they did it by playing soccer. And then through that, um, it opened up this whole avenue of a new ministry for long-term missionaries to really pour into. So it can be stuff like that, which is really cool. So short-term missions, I think, in my opinion, are very important for the people going on the missions trips because I think when you're going on that mission trip, you're getting a whole new perspective on your life. And I think literally everyone should go on some sort of short-term mission because it really opens your perspective to see that there's a whole new world out there. Um, in the aspect of thinking in the home country, if it's helping much, Yes, it is, kind of like what Kirk was saying. You're really encouraging the missionaries that are there, especially because I know when I was there and we had short-term missionaries come, they'd always bring us Reese cups and cereal. So, like, it's encouraging for us because we don't get those American things, and it's good to have some encouragement from people coming over. But if you're only there for a week or two, I think often it can cause good relationships to start being built, but then you leave, and then you leave those people, and they're kind of left wondering, like, where they went and stuff. So I think that the missions themselves are really important, and I know even for my mom, her 
how she became a missionary is through a mission trip that she had for a week, and she realized her passion for serving others, and then she decided to go back. So I think it's really important to do it, but it's important not to become prideful and think, oh, I'm going on this two-week mission trip. I'm going to change the world because you might change someone's world for a week or two, but then when you're when you leave, you know, you leave them behind. So I think it's really important to have, but the impact that you're actually having for in a week isn't a huge amount. Agreed. I think one of the most, to go along with everything that's been said, one of the most important things that we need to remember anytime we engage in short-term missions is that we don't bring the Holy Spirit with us. He's already there. He's already doing things. We just participate for a short while and then back out again. So instead of coming into a situation and this, the work beginning when we get there, it's a partnership with the people who were already being impacted by the inner work of the Holy Spirit and potentially the missionaries there full time. Uh, an example of how this has really impacted my life is, so when I was six, I went to camp in the summertime, and I was six, and it was a three-week camp, and I didn't make it. <laughs> so they had to call my dad and say, can you come get little Brenda? She cries all the time. <laughs> so he came and got me, and then since it's my dad and this is his personality, he decided to fix this problem. He was going to run the camp, <laughs> and he ran the camp for the next 27 years. Uh-huh. So the way this whole thing was set up is that in, for two weeks in July, all these short-term missionaries would come over from the States, and we would have English camp. So we would have class in the morning where we learned how to read and how to write and how to spell and some history stuff, and that's where I learned about the Declaration of Independence and the pilgrims and like all the stuff you don't learn in French school. And, uh, and then in the afternoon, we would play violent games. <laughs> and then we would have Bible blast at night. And so the whole thing was a mixture of education in the language that we weren't getting educated in during the school year, theological formation, and fun. And, and the entire thing for 20 plus years was staffed by short-term missions. Somebody would come and teach every morning to, you know, teach spelling for two weeks or cook in the kitchen for two weeks or do Bible blast for two weeks or play instruments. And so it, it was a really effective tool, but be, it was so because the Lord was consistently at work throughout those decades, and, and there was enough management on the ground that, that the short-term people were effective in their given roles. It was so much fun. And then when I went to boarding school, those people, the people I was at camp with, were half my class. We were a disaster. And... And yet the only reason I could go to and switch to an English-speaking school is because 
I had been educated in English a lot through this English camp. And that's a fairly common missionary kid experience in Europe. So next question. What would you import from Christianity in your home context to benefit the church in the U.S.? If you could bring over one idea or practice or thing, what would it be? This is the one that I'm probably most passionate about. So I think that definitely living overseas, especially in Thailand, it's a very animistic culture. So they believe that there's spirits and they believe that spirit world is real. And so I think something that I would definitely bring over to the U.S. is that awareness of the spiritual world. Because I think that a lot of people here like believe that there is a spiritual world, but they kind of just believe that it might be like angels and, you know, God and the spirit and stuff, but they don't believe that there is a lot of spiritual warfare going on and a lot of battles that are constantly going on in our minds and around us and that Satan is really at war for our hearts because we're believers. And so I think that bringing that over would be really important to me just because I saw in the church there how important it was for them and how aware they were of it, not even that it was their top priority, but that they knew that it was something that impacted them daily and especially because um, there were so many beliefs that the spirit world was real. They really thought it was important to bring that into the church and to have that be something that you learned about and you learned how to combat with scripture and how to combat with prayer because it's something that's happening so we can't just ignore it. So I would definitely bring more awareness of the spiritual world to the church if I could. I'll say um, in Kenya, there are at least a place to live and had one church around and Whereas, like, in America, um, I remember, like, when I was a freshman, like, I remember getting, like, the, like a church list that I can go to. There's, like, Spanish church, like, Korean church, like, so many different kinds of church, even, like, mega church. And, like, I feel like um, not only, like, having a good relationship with church, but also having, like, an even a smaller group where you can not only listen, but also get to participate. And I know that some people do have, like, Bible study group in here, but... Having more of that is, I think it's really encouraging because um, just bringing out, like, um, I'll say, like, even, like, people with diverse people, like, not only, like, um, like here, but, like, also including international students, I think that's, like, honestly can be, like, an indirect experience of missions and know how it feels to um, just be in that field and know the struggles and stuff, so, Yeah. Let's see. I want to illustrate this with a story to see if I can get it right. Um, so one of the things about Bolivian culture, especially the Quechua culture, is that they're very community-centered. Um, and they're oriented on events and not on time, right? So I remember one time when my dad uh, was invited to speak at a church. And they said, the elder said, um, we're going to sing two songs, and then Brother Alan will come and he will speak. And so we sang a song, and a couple people trickled in while we were singing. And then we sang another song, and we got to the end of that song, and those people had come in, so they really only got to participate in one song, right? So we're going to add another song. So <laughs> this continued happening, and because they're not time-oriented we ended up singing six or eight songs, right? 
<laughs> until the end of it. And this was an evening service, so we ended up going real late. Um, but the thing was, they loved to be there together. They loved including other people. It was about, um, it was about family, and it was about us, and it was about the event. And it was not about, oh my gosh, look at the time. We, uh, we got to get to bed because we got to get up tomorrow because I've got to get to this appointment because the next thing's coming. So taking time for people is something that the church has in Latin America that um, I think is absolutely phenomenal. And I would bring that here if I could more and more. Bonus question. How has being an MK or a TCK impacted your view of missions? Mm-hmm. How has being an MK or a TCK impacted your view of missions? Okay, so this one... I'm kind of going to tie into my experience. I went to a public school in the U.S. for three years, and so I was 15 when I moved back to the U.S., and um, my first experience when I first moved back, I thought, you know, overseas missions was, was the way to go, that everyone should be missionaries. I was like, why are these people here in America? Like, they know about the gospel. I don't understand why they're still here. They should be getting off their butts and going overseas. And so I came in with a very closed worldview and thinking, like, that missions was the only way to go. And being at a public school for three years, I was able to see how much pain and hurt there was in the U.S. as well. Um, So I kind of like did a 360 almost. I was able to see that there was a lot that needed to happen in the United States and that, you know, people needed to get pushed to, to do. But then I also was able to look at the church in the United States and see that there were those needs, but people weren't going to try to help people, and they were really comfortable where they were in their church, in their Christian friend groups, and they didn't want to be going out and serving and loving. And it was ironic to me to see that a lot of people wanted to go on mission trips, wanted to go overseas, wanted to serve, but then in their own places here, they weren't doing that. And to me, that was like, it made me realize that we can't be expected to go overseas and serve others if we can't even do that here, and we need to be able to love the people that are here. Um, but now I'm kind of back to, I think I'm at a better balance now. I'm able to see that there is still a lot of need overseas and that we should be going and that that call is still here for us and that God calls us to go to the nations and where we are commissioned to do that. So I think that it really is a balance of realizing that where we are has a lot of needs and that we need to be fulfilling those, but also like there are people out there that haven't even heard the name of Jesus, and we have. So we need to be willing to say, even though we're comfortable here, we need to go because that's what Jesus calls us to. So I've definitely had a huge impact on my faith and seeing the world differently because of my missionary kid experience. And it's been sometimes positive, sometimes negative, but I think it's been good to have a good balance between the two. Make it quick, Han. Okay. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. Um, okay. So missions, I used to think that it's it's something that makes you feel good about yourself, you know? Like, oh, like, I'm a missionary, you know, I serve others, you know, it's very selfless. But it's not only about that. Like, think about MKs. Think about 
Like, did they have choice to become no. an MK? No. Ex <laughs> exactly. Like, it's not only about sacrificing yourself, but also your spouse, your sons and daughters, your friends, like your family. Like, it's that made me realize why. Like, what is it? What makes it so worth it? And I remember just going to like a little outreach when I was in Kenya, and like literally 30 minutes away, there are like homeless people. Like, people can't eat. People like struggle to eat daily, and through that, like it's just, and also not only that, like, even like terrorist attacks, like in airports, um, like just robbery and like just so many stuff going on, and like it just makes me realize how desperate the world needs God, and how not only is it worth it for His plan, but also like just. Mm, it, it's something that you like it's worth risking and even though God might have different plans for everyone when they go like it's very heroic mission that not everyone is capable of and I give a lot of respect for that Do you want to pray? Great. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for um, this time that we can all get together and, um, and just be together as a, a body worshiping you, thinking about missions. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, um, to live our lives in ways that glorify you where we are and to remember that missions is not something that you go do, but it is a way you live. Um, we live in service to one another, and we live in service to those who you have created and who you love. Um, thank you, Lord, for um, this day. I pray that you would send us out from here, Lord, together, um, joyful and rejoicing, and um, faithful in our daily work. Amen. <laughs>